March Madness has given way to Portal Madness, and UVA and Virginia Tech are right in the middle of it all, remaking their rosters for next basketball season. It's also spring football time, and while the Hokies worry about their depth, the Cavaliers have to worry about squeezing all of their experienced players onto their depth chart. We'll talk about all that, Roy Williams' successor at UNC, and much more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 47 of Keel and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and here joining me as he always does, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you, sir? Good morning, Mike. I'm well, and hope you and yours are the same. We are. Now, we've had some scheduling conflicts since the NCAA tournament ended, so we're back now after a a two-week break. Of course, we've missed all of you. I'm sure you've missed us as well. And (laughs) David, in the time away, uh, our family had some big news. We actually added a new puppy uh, uh, during that time. We picked up uh, a five-month-old boxer-German shepherd mix named Bear. Uh, He was being fostered by a friend, and I'm the guy in our house who wants all the dogs. I I would adopt every dog that's out there and we would make room and make do. My wife is what we call the voice of reason. (laughs) She prevents me from adopting every dog out there, but this was actually David, her idea. She came into my office and said, Hey, I saw this dog that's being fostered by a friend. I want it. And and obviously I uh, wasted no time because I didn't want her to change her mind. So we have a new addition. I'm curious in the two weeks since we've last podcasted, any, any big news in your household? Well, first of all, Mike, how big is Bear going to get? Is he aptly named? He is, which is another reason that I was a little bit stunned when when Elizabeth walked in and said, this is the dog for me. He's about 30 pounds now at five months. Uh, They're estimating he'll be closer to 70 pounds uh, when he's done growing. And and you can tell because he's got the, you know, if if the NFL scouts were out here measuring the hands, They'd be very impressed with Bear's hands. He, uh, you know, and his catching radius. So, he, so, he, so the kids are going to have a pony, is what they're going to. Absolutely. Have. In fact, we already struggle with, you know, uh, kiddo, our, our older, our, our seven-year-old. She'll kind of stand over the back of the dog, pretending to ride on it, and the baby doesn't get nuance, right? He's a baby, <laughs> so he sees her do that, and then he climbs up, you know, all fours on top and and hangs on by the fur. So, uh, yeah, we, we've got a, another riding dog that that hopefully we'll be able to, to spare from the children. <laughs> no, no, no major additions in our household. We, we just, uh, we started back this week with four days of in-person schooling. That's the big change here. Well, yeah, I was to say, I, I would have to beg to differ then and say that's a pretty major change. And uh, so I, is, is Tiny Teal excited to be back to the, the more full-time schooling? Anything that gets her away from her no-account parents. <laughs> we know that's not true, but we also know how kids are. So uh, speaking speaking about, about changes, you know, David, I was, I was watching the Masters, as I'm sure you were, uh, on Sunday and through the weekend, saw Hideki Matsuyama sew up that green jacket and historical for, for him and his country. And it, it dawned on me, I haven't played a round of golf in over two years now, not since before my son, not, not since before the baby was born. Um, it wasn't a, a conscious like, okay, I'm going to give up golf now. It just, you know, with time and everything happening and then the pandemic hit, um, 
and I'm wondering about, you know, hey, getting back into, into playing. I'm curious, when, when Tiny Teal was born, was there anything you kind of gave up temporarily and did, did you get back to it or was it a thing of the past? Uh, books, movies, television. <laughs> Pretty much, all of, pretty much all of it, and it's been permanent. <laughs> so I should prepare myself to, to sell my clubs? Is that what you're telling me? Either that or, or just prepare to have, watch them gather dust. Yes, it, it might be mothball times. It, it came up because, and this is, I have some of the, the stranger dreams. I don't know if we've talked about this on the pod before, but I actually had a dream that I was going to play a round of golf uh, with a bunch of friends from college, and I got there and, and my golf bag was the very first golf bag I had, which was this ratty old red, you know, circle bag that, you know, no compartments uh, except for the one on the side for the balls. And there were no clubs in it. And, and I was in this state of panic. And uh, I asked on Twitter and, and the Twitter world tells me that has less to do with golf and more to do with general anxiety. But um, it, it also fed into me thinking about, hey, it's been a while since I've since I've played around. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd go to Twitter for a dream analysis if I were you. <laughs> it all depends how seriously you take it, David. True. For entertainment value, nothing beats Twitter. <laughs> uh, also, another great use of Twitter these days, trying to keep up with the ins and outs and back and forth of the NCA transfer portal. Uh, Twitter's been an invaluable resource, and it is just, <laughs> it's a little bit ridiculous, the pace and the volume of, of what we're dealing with. And Virginia lost Justin McCoy. He went to North Carolina. It lost Casey Morsell. He went to NC State. Uh, it lost Jabri Abdur-Rahim. He went to Georgia. Uh, you know, add in Sam Hauser, Jay Huff, Thomas Wodetense, who were seniors. This roster was in a little bit of distress, wasn't it? Absolutely. And, and Mike... I'm not sure that the, the the subtractions are done. You know, I'm still, you know, I always think somebody who had a really good year is going to look at options. I haven't heard a peep from Trey Murphy. I'm I'm not convinced that he won't, you know, give give the the, the pro ranks and see what his stock is. Yeah, I would bet that he will at least explore the NBA. Um I think there's such a rush of guys as there always is going in early uh, mm-hmm. that that maybe he sees the opportunity. And I'll tell you, David, like I'm, a, I'd be a lot more excited about playing next season at UVA now that they've made a couple pickups here to to fill some of those holes. Um, you know, two weeks ago, <laughs> I might have been looking for an excuse to to turn pro or transfer. Uh, they've made some nice pickups. They've added Armand Franklin from Indiana. We're going to have a guest on in a little bit to, to talk about him. They've added Jaden Gardner from ECU. Um, huge. I, I think they're good players. I think they're good fits. But more importantly, I was looking at a roster that I had no vision for what it was going to look like this season. Are you starting to feel a little bit better about what Virginia may have with these two additions? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Franklin is a is a shooting guard whose three point range last year what was he in the high thirties or low forties at at Indiana. He had some injury issues and, and didn't have quite the season that either he or, or the Hoosiers might have anticipated. And Jaden Gardner was the AAC Player of the Year in two thousand twenty as a sophomore. Was first team this past season. All conference, you know, 18 points a game, eight boards a game, 6'7, 235, I mean, bulky. 
absolutely these are these are quality additions and much needed and they don't they don't feel like a gamble right like sam hauser didn't feel like a gamble sam hauser felt like a home run and he turned out that way they're really i'm trying to think of i guess austin nichols was the transfer that that didn't work out for virginia basketball uh, a couple years back but but overall this is a program that is pretty picky choosy seems to make the right choices i'm wondering david with the transfer portal madness is that tested more right is it a little more desperate to say i've got to pull two or three guys out of the portal maybe one of them doesn't fit or, or do you think this is a program that's going to stick to its guns and and be very picky choosy i think tony bennett is going to be picky <laughs> until someone pro- you know proves his methods uh, not ineffective yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. It's uh, I said the the Austin Nichols one was interesting. We, we don't know the whole backstory there, but um, other than that, he really hasn't had one that that kind of blew up in his face. And if you, if you look around, uh, you know, other programs maybe a, a bit more gambling, and, and and sometimes it pays off big, and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, now it's interesting. T- two of the kids that that UVA lost are transferring within the ACC. Mm-hmm. Justin McCoy going to Carolina, Casey Morsell to NC State. The ACC changed that rule to, to say, you know, you could uh, transfer within conference. I think that's the direction everybody was going. And uh, what do you think about the idea of these guys popping up <laughs> once, twice, maybe three times a year now uh, for their old team? Well, and and they're not alone in transferring w- within the league. Uh, Matt Cross has mm-hmm. transferred from Miami to Louisville for, for next season in, in basketball. And this is the, the way of the world. I talked to Jim Phillips, the new ACC commissioner, about this. An interview I had previously scheduled with him just happened to fall on the day that the ACC announced this reversal of years of policy in which if you wanted to transfer within the league, you were going to have to sit out. A season, you know, regardless of NCA waiver and such, and he just thinks it's right. He's very adamant about it. This was really the first big policy decision of the Phillips administration, and as you referenced, we've seen other conferences follow suit since the ACC made its announcement. Yeah, yeah, I think the general push, and we've been talking about this since we started the podcast, is that you know these kids deserve that that freedom, the same right that other students have to um, to be able to move. And it always felt a little distasteful, disingenuous. You saw it a lot in football of, hey, we're going to block you from transferring mm-hmm. within the conference. And it, it just sort of threw into your face the idea that, okay, we claim it's student athletes and we claim it's all about education and that's the first thing, but now they want to make a move. And now the most important thing is competitive balance and your sport. Um, it just didn't jive with, with, with the party line. And, you know, we can talk about that party line and how realistic it is or is not. But, um, yeah, I, I think in the end, this freedom, uh, I think it's the way they had to go. I'm interested, David, in your thoughts here. The portal has been insane, right, this offseason. Hmm. I mean, it's it's. I told our friend Wes McElroy the other day on his radio show, it's been everybody into the pool. It's the first day of summer. Everybody jumps in the pool all at once. You're shoulder to shoulder. You got nowhere to go. And at the end of the day, your mom hopes she pulls the right kid out of the water. Um, but I, I'm curious, do you think this is what the portal's going to be? Or is this the mad rush with, with the year of 
eligibility forgiveness because of the pandemic. Um, do you think this is an extreme version of what it's going to be? Not yet. I don't think we've reached that tipping point. Now, we're already at a record over 1,300 in the portal, and it's only mid-April. By my count, 47 ACC players have hmm. entered the portal, and the ACC has in turn added 18 that, that we know of, and at least that, that I've noticed and put on, on my list. What I wonder about, Mike, is next year, because so much of recruiting, essentially all of recruiting, has been virtual. And young men and women are making decisions about schools and coaches, essentially sight unseen. They haven't been on campus. They haven't met their coach. And it's vice versa. The coaches have not met the prospects or their families there's going to be some buyer's remorse on both sides of that equation. It's, it's just natural. Mistakes will have been made. And I think a year from now, we could very well be looking at an even larger transfer portal. But once- so br Brace I, yourself. I think, yeah. I, but, but I think once we get through that cycle and the pandemic is a year or more in the rearview mirror, then I think the realization is going to set in that just because I jump in the portal doesn't mean there's going to be a landing place for me. And maybe I need to think twice. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. And I think back to Justin Fuente, the Virginia Tech football coach, when he said, essentially, once you make the decision to go to the portal, you're done here. I wonder if there's going to be any change in that front. Um you know, from coaches who say, okay, th this is the way it is. You want to explore your options. Or if they're going to be coaches that, that hold that line and say, hey, if you're in the portal, it means you're not. And this was Coach Fuente's point. If you're in the portal, it means you're not 100% committed and invested in this program. And that's not the kind of players that they want. Um, I wonder if we see some, some leniency there or, or if it's going to be enter the portal at your own peril. Depends how good the player is, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, Mike, where's your cynical side here? <laughs> You're not saying there'd be a double standard for stars, are you, David? No, no. Just, like, just, sports. just like with a referee's whistle. <laughs> no doubt. Now, now, Armand Franklin, the kid we talked about uh, from Indiana, he was uh, essentially the Hoosier star. Mike Woodson, the new coach there, wanted him back, made some effort to retain him. For a little bit more on, on his addition, we're joined now by a close friend of mine, Dustin Dopirak. Dustin, how are you, my friend? Doing well, man. How about yourself? Dustin, he's worked most recently at The Athletic. He's been in Pittsburgh. He's been in Tennessee. He's been in Bloomington. He's in Indianapolis now. He's covering Indiana basketball, and that's what ties you in here. So you've covered Armand Franklin. You've gotten to know him, his family a little bit. Dustin, tell hmm. me, what kind of a guy is UVA adding to its program? I mean, just to start, just a really solid human being with a really solid family. I mean, I look forward to uh, I look forward to, you, to your opportunity to write a, uh, write about them because they're right up your alley. Like I've read obviously a lot of your pieces, you know, 
over over the years. Uh, you you connect really well with families, and you're going to connect really well with this one. It's a really like a lot of really cool stories. Uh, mom's a single mom, you know, has raised three kids on her own. They're all they're they're all college athletes. Uh, the the older two are significantly older. Um, I think his his brothers are both nine or ten years older. So, but they're all devoted uh, to making him really good. They're 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 all sort of equally devoted to each other. Basically, like anytime you know someone's got something going on, the rest of the family sort of gets involved and makes sure. And they're as, as good as they can. I mean, they all, you know, like she watches, his brothers watch his game film. They talk about him. They send notes. They have group texts. Um, and, and really, that's a big reason why Armand made the big jump that he did between uh, year one and year two. You obviously see uh, major differences in numbers. I think he had the second biggest leap. Um, in scoring average, uh, this year. And I'm trying to think who was first. I know it was somebody really obvious. Um, but he, I, I think he, ad- he added like seven or eight points to his, his average. And a big reason was, you know, when it came to the pandemic, basically when the season shut down, um, basically he came home and said, uh, mama, I want a basketball. I think I need a basketball hoop. And she, you know, they went out and bought a, uh, uh, a, a driveway hoop, basically one of those portable hoops they just put up in the driveway. And she drew up, you know, like her and, you know, him and his brother put together, you know, I had to put sand in it or water in it or whatever to get it to stand up. She like drew up the lines, you know, just to make sure everything was as good as it could be. I don't think she had a whole three point arc, um, but enough spaces on there to know where a three was, where the foul line was. They all played one on one against him. She said she hacked the heck out of him. Um, And so that's that's how they do. But like they've got and he has a trainer that they loop in. Um, and they talk about it all the time. And he's uh, just a, a really sharp guy, but really bent on improving, bent on getting better. You know, uh, you know, they talked a lot about, um, you know, basically just looking at game film and putting the situation, even when he made the shot. All right. What else could you have done here? All right. What if this defender was six inches closer to you or, or three or four feet fo- closer to you? What would you have done then? You know, like getting a better idea of what decision making should be. Um, so you, you saw, again, a lot of difference that because there's just, again, so much devotion from him and so much devotion by his whole entire family to uh, make a more complete basketball player. And you could argue that he, he was the most complete guy on the team, especially when he was healthy, um, you know, r- right after in the midst of probably his best stretch of basketball in the season, uh, had an ankle injury against Maryland. It cost him half of that game and then three or four others. And then he just wasn't quite as explosive uh, the rest of the year uh, uh, when he was working with that thing. He was still able to score a decent bit, had a few game good games in there, but not quite as good as he was uh, November, December. But again, a, a really solid guy. And and when I saw that he picked Virginia, I'm like, you know what? This makes sense. Uh, I, I, was, I was surprised that he decided to leave Indiana. I thought he would fit in really well with what Mike Woodson wanted to do, what he was selling. And he's really close with Trace Jackson Davis. So I thought that was going to be the clincher for him. It's like, okay, if Trace is staying and he's really lit up about him, and Trace basically came in and, and gave a press conference that was as good of a sell as I could have imagined a player giving uh, for a new head coach. I thought that was going to sell our mom. But when he, when he picked Virginia, I was like, you know what? This this still makes a lot of sense. This this is a, a really solid program with a really solid coach that, that relies on intellect and intelligence. He's got a lot of that. I think he's got a lot of the athleticism that fits. He really cares about defense. He cares about being the guy that's always making the smart decision. And that's a very Virginia thing. So I think he really fits the program culture well, style of play, but also the culture. Well, he's 6'4", 195. And, and you know, Dustin, his, his three-point shooting numbers jump out. He was, I think, at 42% this season. Uh, tell me, is he a catch-and-shoot guy? Can he create his own shot? C- can he go to the rim? Does he have other parts of his offensive game? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what kind of a player are they getting uh, offensively? Yeah, no, now he can do all of those. Uh, basically, he's he is a good catch-and-shoot guy. Um, and it's, it's interesting, you look back at his numbers from last year, 
he only has two really good shooting games. And they were both at Bankers Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. They were both, there was the Crossroads Classic in December when they played against, I think it was Notre Dame. It was Notre Dame last year. It was Butler this year. And uh, because they flipped back and forth, Purdue, Indiana, Indiana, Notre Dame, Butler all play this event downtown. And then they came back uh, for the Big Ten tournament, played the first night of the Big Ten tournament before it was canceled. And they were playing against Fred Hoiberg uh, when Fred when Fred got sick. And that was sort of that night that we all knew everything was going <laughs> yes. in a very bad direction. It was part of that game. But in that game, uh, Armand hit four threes. Um, but it was a big piece of his game to get better at the three. He was a good shooter in high school. I think he was somewhere in the 38% three-point range. Uh, as a high school player and did not shoot it very well at all as a freshman, except for those two games and really made a point to, you know, spend more time on that. But he also got, like you said, a lot better at creating his own. He got a lot better off the bounce. Um, he's only so explosive as an athlete, just in terms of raw speed and jumping ability. Um, but you, he, he's just very, he, he's got that very good two guard sort of body control that you see some guys develop. There's just a lot like he has an idea of how to use his body, idea of how to finish at the rim, idea of just when to make the right dribble to either just create enough space behind the arc or get in and get into a mid-range shot or go to the rim and finish. Uh, I think you saw just a ton of progress from him um, in that particular facet of his game of just being in a position where he knew he had to get a bucket and, and knowing when to do it. Um, you know, his one of his biggest moments of the year when he hits his game winner against Iowa and he had a bad night shooting, he ended up being two for 10. So he's one for nine at this point, but they're, you know, it's tie ball game, about 15 seconds left. Uh, Archie Miller makes a point to say, all right, give it to Armand at the top of the key. And he dribbles it out for like, you know, till it's going to be close to the last shot, you know, takes maybe two dribbles and hits a fadeaway jumper from about 15 feet and drills. You know, it's had a bad night too. It's had, has not had a good, Shooting that at all, had all kinds of mistakes, just wasn't playing with a lot of confidence. But Archie just still said this is the best option that they had. Um, and they didn't have a lot of good options at that. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they didn't have – I mean, he was really the one guy that you could say, all right, put, it, put the ball in his hand. He can get you any kind of shot that you need. He's at least going to get a look. There wasn't anybody else on the team he could say that about. I think that's going to be important because this is a Virginia team that, besides all of the pieces moving and guys transferring, you know, Sam Hauser was a senior, and right. Sam Hauser was the guy who did those kind of things for Tony mm-hmm. Bennett's club this year. Uh, he came in, heralded as a three-point shooter, but by the midpoint of the season, it was obvious that Sam Hauser was where they were going to go near the rim. Sam Hauser was where they were going to go for the mid-range jumper. Sam Hauser was going to get some of those big rebounds and, and give mm-hmm. them a second-chance opportunity. So, um, you know, this is a, a UVA roster – and we talked about Jaden Gardner uh, announcing mm. the transfer from ECU that he'll be joining the team. They have Trey Murphy. They're hoping mm. to keep him. Uh, he transferred last year from Rice. So they have mm. all of these pieces that they really do fit in a way, and this is certainly overhyping these guys athletically, but the DeAndre Hunter mold of right. being versatile scorers, of being long defenders, being rangy. Um, you know, are they NBA lottery draft picks? Probably none of those those three guys I just mentioned, but they've got that kind of a, a persona on the court and, and ability. Right. And how about, obviously, this is UVA basketball, so I've got to ask you, how is he defensively? <laughs> that yeah, is, uh, you, you don't get on the floor mm-hmm. for Tony Bennett if you're mm-hmm. not uh, schooled in the pack line and devoted uh, to staying in that stance and, and being strong on the defensive end. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he's good at that. Obviously, he's got a base for of understanding because Archie Miller was a pack line guy. Um, so, so that fits. He's going to understand those principles, the difference between that and even your standard man-to-man principles. Um, but he can play wh- however you want from a 
from a, again from a man to man perspective. Um, and I mean, because obviously, again, he's got the length. Um, he always cared about defense, and that was something that he really takes a lot of pride in. That was one of you know when I first talked to him, um, did sort of an introductory piece, you know, basically before he got in the system, before I had to you know request interviews when I could just go straight to him uh, in, in sort of his last days uh, at Cathedral High School, right before he was about to graduate and come on campus. I got to have a sit down with him, but you know that was one of the first things he told me as we were sitting there at, at, at his high school after he got through a workout. He's like, I, I really want to be considered a guy that that cares about defense. That this is something that matters to me. I don't want to be one of those recruits that just acts like that's not a part of my game. I want to always be a guy uh, who cares about that. I mean, I and it, you know, I mean, he wasn't a he wasn't quite an All Big Ten caliber defender. Either led or tied for the team lead in steals. He was right there, about 26, 27, something like that. He had a stretch where he was getting two or three a game. Um, so he could do that. He is going to care. I mean, is he as as good as, you know, is he going to be the best defender in Virginia? I have my doubts um, because, again, just because it's so ingrained in the culture there. Um, but he's going to fit. He's not going to be out of place. Like you're not going to look at it, hit him as a weak point at all. Dustin, what was your sense of, you know, how much of a push did, did Mike Woodson and that staff make to try to keep Armand? Uh, mm. Was that in play? Where else was he looking? Um, or was this a case where he, he was on his way out the door no matter what was going on? Well, what's the backstory? My sense was that, um, I mean, I knew Illinois and Louisville were involved, but I kind of knew the sense that they, they, they really wanted to take a step back on this. And they said at the beginning, you know, this doesn't mean that we're not going to go. This just means that we want to have options. Basically, if, if, if they hire somebody that we don't think he fits with, we want to have already made relationships so we don't have to start over then, especially with all the things that were going into the transfer portal blowing up like it is. I mean, I, I think everybody had a sense that it was going to go this direction um, because of just everything involved just with, with COVID-19 and, and nobody losing a year of eligibility. And, and so for all those reasons, I think everybody knew that the, the portal was going to be jammed. Um, so I think they obviously looked at it and said, you know, if we're if it, the portal was going to be this jammed, it doesn't make any sense for us um, to wait until we, we get a coach and then decide then that that um don't want to be around this guy it's like let's create these now and my guess is just that um you know virginia was too good to pass up and and with franklin and with gardner it, it's starting to look like they're putting together because a couple of weeks ago dustin as yeah. great as virginia's been you looked at that roster you were like i i don't know i, I don't right. know but you had a guy like franklin with what you're saying you had a guy like gardner um there may still be other pieces out there for virginia uh, but either way, it's pretty clear that, that, that Indiana's loss here is Virginia's gain. Now, how, how does that play on the floor? We'll wait and see. But, Dustin, I appreciate you uh, taking some time to be with me to break down Armand Franklin, let us know what the Virginia fans can expect and maybe what Tony Bennett is expecting. So thanks for being here on the show, and, and thanks, as always, for your time, my friend. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. Now, Indiana certainly wasn't the only big-time program with a, a coaching change in this offseason right here in the ACC. We saw Roy Williams retire. We've been off the air, so to speak. So, David, let's start with Roy's retirement and then get into to Hubert Davis, his replacement. But um, were you surprised that, you know, that Roy chose now to hang it up? I was surprised, Mike, but certainly not shocked. I mean, he's, he's 70 years old. I mean, the crazy thing is at that age, you think, okay, a coach is getting ready to retire if he's not long gone, but he's the, he was the fifth oldest coach in the league last the year. We, the we, yes. And the, you know, and the other four showed, showed, showed no signs of wanting to stop, especially Leonard Hamilton, especially, you know, if he gets that Achilles fixed after falling off the bus, mm. but 
if if you looked at Roy last season and this, he he, he looked just so unhappy and frustrated with himself. And, and, and you know, as well as I, from listening to his post games and from the weekly ACC Zooms, he is an open book now. He is so transparent. And his frustration with himself was so palpable. And I, and, and his, his retirement news conference was this way. He was just he was convinced i'm not the right guy for the job anymore now you can argue that maybe he was and they in another year or two he'd have the program back up and up and humming but he he just thought that the program deserves better and i'm checking out i think it's incredible self-awareness it really is i i because of his age, I'm okay with it. I, I just wonder if it wasn't over the top on his part. And and, and it, it's part of the reason. And you wrote so well about this and, and you know, his desire to, to live up to Dean Smith. And I, I just wonder if he wasn't a little too harsh on himself after two years that were, um, you know, a, a subpar season a year ago, a disjointed COVID season this year. Um, the exhaustion is real. And if it was time to, to go, that's fine. But I know the idea to me that that Roy Williams wasn't going to be able to turn things around. I, I just have a hard time believing that. Right. And I wonder if it wasn't that, you know, that sort of drive for this perfection, this, the standard that he had that, that made him say, you know, I'm not the right guy for the job. I don't, I think there's a lot of schools across the country that would love to have <laughs> somebody as wrong for their job as Roy Williams. <laughs> I think you make a really good point. And Somebody asked him at the news conference, Dean Smith, his his mentor, always regretted retiring at 66. Mm-hmm. Thought he did it too early. And someone asked Roy, do you have any concerns that you might be jumping too soon? He, he said, it's a fair point and one I've pondered, but no, I'm I'm ready. And he, and he did say th- that his wife, who he playfully refers to as Wicked Wanda, had, had wanted him to retire after each of the Tar Heels' two most recent national championships, and he, even after the 2017 one. But he said, you know, he, he, he held on, and but he's ready now. Now, and, and it's funny because it was a mix, watching his, his press conference, he was sort of this mix of at peace with his decision and tortured by his decision in a way that was so real, right? Because a lot of times these guys come out and, and announce their retirement and it, it's, you know, it's all roses. It's all flowers. It's all great. You know, this is the right decision. This is perfect. And true or, or not, you know, maybe that's just the image they want to put out there. And then you have guys who are pushed out or, or fired and, you know, it's painful. And, Roy was such a human blend. I thought of both. Like he sounded like a guy who maybe wasn't completely sure this was the right call, but it was the call he was making. His reasons were good, and and this is where he was going. And and um, you know, I've enjoyed every one of his post games and Monday Zoom appearances and, and teleconference appearances. And in a lot of ways, I really enjoyed his retirement press conference. Yeah, be- because it it just always was raw and genuine and, and, and as and as you said sometimes over the top 
but that was that that's just him that's the way he is he he cries at the ends of at the end of seasons and you know for for better or for worse 99% of the time for the better i mean the guys in the hall of fame he hung more banners in chapel hill than dean smith did for heaven's sake he won 3 in 18 seasons that's a pretty good batting average now it sure is we'll miss some happy trails and a great retirement for roy williams on to the next, David, his essentially handpicked successor, am I right, in Hubert Davis? Yes, absolutely. What do you and, make of, of this hire, of this fit? Well, the, the interesting thing, Mike, is, and I'm, as I often do, dating myself, but when Dean Smith retired in 1997, he essentially forced Carolina's hand. He didn't retire until early October when the Tar Heels had no choice but to elevate Bill Guthridge, Dean's longtime assistant. Roy didn't do that. He, re- he retired on April 1st, and Bubba Cunningham had plenty of time to go looking outside the program or outside the Carolina family, and he says he did. But in four days, he hired Hubert Davis, Roy's assistant for the last nine years, former Tar Heel, 12-year NBA guy, former ESPN analyst, but never a head coach. And that's that's rare in the ACC. He's only the seventh coach in the last 52 ACC searches that landed on someone who had not coached at the Division I level or higher, meaning the NBA. (laughs) How, how big an obstacle is that? Because we covered James Johnson, right, at Virginia Tech, who, who was a mm-hmm. uh, similar scenario and, and um, similar in, in terms of the timing as well. Um, you know, it was a late hire, and, and we both really liked James. He's been a, a top-level assistant. Hope he gets to be a head coach again, but it didn't work out for the Hokies. How big of an obstacle is it to have your first time in, in that chair, your first time with the big whistle, come in the ACC where you just you don't get a night off? I think it's an obstacle, but if you're looking for a role model, look no farther than Roy Williams. <laughs> I mean, Roy Williams was a riskier hire for Kansas at age 38 or 37, excuse me, than Hubert Davis is for Carolina at 50. Roy knew nothing except North Carolina. He had worked under Dean Smith for a decade when Dean recommended him to Bob Frederick, then the Jayhawks AD, for the Kansas job. Hubert Davis has not only worked under Roy for nine years at Carolina, he played for Dean. In the NBA, he played for Pat Riley and Larry Brown and Rick Carlisle and Jeff Van Gundy. And Don Nelson, he played for some big time. He 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 has been around some of the great coaches that the professional and college games have ever seen, and I think that will help him. Now, the the sort of the flip of that hire came a, a year ago when Virginia Tech went and got Mike Young, who had yes. years and years and years and years and I won't waste the whole episode repeating years, but plenty of experience uh, as the Wofford head coach. He's got an interesting offseason as well at Virginia Tech. Um, you know, the Hokies are, are right in the middle of all that transfer portal stuff. 
We talked last time about Jalen Cohn and Joe Bamisile. They've both bolted from Blacksburg. Cohn has since landed at, at Northern Arizona. Uh, Bamisile at, at GW, George Washington. Kevi Aluma has said he'll test the NBA waters. He's not going to sign with an agent, so he could come back. Um, those are you know huge losses and potential losses, obviously, for the Hokies. But like UVA, Tex picked up a piece, and, and it, it feels like the piece that Mike Young was looking for. They added seven-foot center Michael Durr from South Florida. Uh, you know, Coach Young talked after the NCAA tournament loss to Florida. I asked him, you know, you always hate to ask these guys right after their season ends, but you don't know when your next availability with them will be. I asked him what needs to happen in the program, what, what roster changes, and he said he'd love to find a true center so he could play a Luma at the more natural four, Mutz at the three, and and have a really big-time, big lineup. Uh, David, what do you make of, of the addition of Michael Durr and, and the roster overall? I think he could be that guy, Mike. He's he's seven foot. He's 250. So he's not some seven-foot rail now. And I look at his stat line for USF this past season, and I see one thing I really like, and I see one big red flag thing I really like is eight rebounds a game, 7.9 to be exact. Three of them are offensive offensive rebounds. He's averaging three offensive rebounds a game, which is at a better rate than anybody on Virginia Tech's roster hit the offensive glass this, this past season. To me, that's that's a really nice addition for the Hokies. The red flag to me is I expect my seven-footer to shoot better than 41% from the floor. <laughs> yeah, you know, you think about the prototype at that position when you're that size, throw the ball down to the low block, and that's a, a shot you should be hitting, what, 60% of the time, right? Right. You're right there at the rim. Uh, so, yeah, and, and, and you know, I didn't look, but the, it'll be a question, too, with the free throw shooting. How is his free throw shooting, and is it going to be a – is he going to be a hack-a-shack kind of guy? No, he's not. He He's over 70% as a free throw shooter, which makes his 41% from the floor all the more confounding. <laughs> it's, it's like the guys that, that shoot uh, really well from three and struggle at the free throw line, and you wonder why they don't just step back a, a few paces. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's an intriguing piece because it's been a while, right, since Tech has had a, a center. We've seen a lot of guys who were really probably power forwards playing that position. And I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't that long ago that I mean, a guy like Tyrese Radford <laughs> was spending time at, at, at essentially the five in some of the lineups. And, um, you know, I guess Kerry Blackshear had the size to be mm-hmm. more like a true center, but he played more like a, a four. And, 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 you know, certainly with some of his passing and outside shooting, it's going to be interesting to see a tech team with a legitimate center, assuming that, that that's what Durr turns out to be. Yeah, and and as you referenced, you put him at the five, Aluma the four, Mutz the three, Radford the two, and what's what's Beatty go- going to do if he's back? There's your starting five, right? Yeah, and when you think about Naheem Aline and the game he had in the NCAA tournament, coming off the bench, then uh, depending certainly on matchups, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's easy to think like okay. You know, again, you lose but from the portal, you take from the portal. I, I feel like we all just have to sit back and wait a month um, before we start evaluating. That said, I'm going to bring us to our, our this week's edition of Take It or Leave It. It is a way too early edition of Take It or Leave It with the roster moves both teams have made this offseason season. 
UVA and Virginia Tech will both be back in the NCAA tournament next season. Let's start with David. I'm going to take it. I I thought they would be at the end of last season, and I know there have been some subtractions within the ranks, but I think the additions are good. I like the returning core, and yes, the Hokies and Cavaliers are going to be back in the bracket. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. You know, I, I think UVA is just hard to picture them not being in the NCAA tournament. I, I think I have more questions actually about their roster makeup right now and what kind of a team they're going to put on the floor. But I just, the way it's been rolling, I mean, the fact that they won an ACC title in this mess of a COVID year, uh, it, it's hard to imagine them missing the cut, uh, so to speak, since we're coming out of Masters weekend. <laughs> Virginia Tech, I like the roster. You know, David just went over it. I think that's a really good team. So I'm going to take it. I think both of those teams are going to be back in the NCAA tournament. And I think both are going to be in shape, <laughs> hopefully, uh, to stick around a little bit longer than they did this past year in Indianapolis. Well, it's not just basketball on our minds, although the portal certainly consumes much of our time right now. It's also spring football. And David, you and I both got to spend some time in, in, in Blacksburg uh, at a spring practice. Justin Fuente opened up a Hokies workout, at least the first maybe third of, of the practice for us. Um, we got to see some drills. We got to see some teamwork. Uh, we got to get a good look at the Hokies who were trying to bounce back from that five and six season. What, what struck you being there, being in, in, the, in the Beamer barn and, and checking out tech? Well, uh, a couple things, Mike. Burmeister looks bigger to me, and I don't, and I mean that in a good way. He he just looked more muscular. He'd been in the weight room and looked like he 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 put on some 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 good upper body weight. Uh, I th- I thought Holston ha- had a burst to him. And that was that was interesting to me. Uh, there were some drop balls. Uh, Jafar Williams gets on his guys when that ball hits the ground. Did, did he remind? I couldn't help but think it. He reminded me of Torian Gray. Remember Torian's just over the top. He'd fall down or flop his hat off when when one of his guys got beat in the secondary. I got that kind of a vibe. Yeah, he was. He 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 brought his A game in terms of enthusiasm, at least that day, no question. You know, it's interesting that you bring up Burmeister because he said to us in one of the interviews this off season that one of his goals was to get bigger and stronger. Right now, now some of his injury issues this past season. At one point, he had a three hundred pound offensive lineman step on his foot. <laughs> right, that's that, that's fluky, and I don't know that being in the weight room can prevent that. But he did say that he came into the off season with the goal of being stronger to be more durable because David, he's the guy, right? This is, this is Tech's quarterback with Hendon Hooker gone with uh, the other pieces that they have kind of coming along. I think a little more slowly, it's fair to say Um, this is Braxton Burmeister's offense. This is his year. Better be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And this is a team that that's also trying to replace Khalil Herbert. Mm -hmm, You mentioned Jalen Holston, uh, Raheem Blackshear, who I think, had so much hype and buildup, even from Justin Fuente, about all the things he could do. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been nagged, but dogged a little bit by an injury here in camp. But um, there's an expectation that that he'll be uh, a good player. Taj Gary, Justin Fuente mentioned, is coming on. Yes, Keyshawn did. King is back. David, it's interesting in that running back room. It's starting to feel like the old Shane Beamer running back rotation that the fans hated, but 
maybe it works with this group. Maybe. I mean, I, I, I think fans in, I think deep down in places they don't like us to see, I think the coaches like it when there's Khalil Herbert, that, that, that type of guy who's the go-to. And you, you just know you need yards. He's going to be your starter. And you, you adjust from there. The whole thing by committee to me is, mm, it means you really don't have one. That's always the way I've thought about it. And, and what are you going to say if you're a coach, right? If you're a coach who doesn't have a stud yes. back and you're rotating, you're not going to say, <laughs> you know, oh, know this is a disaster. Go. I yeah. wish we had a good player here. You're going to say, hey, we're, we're strong as a group. But yeah, I mean, deep down, I mean, it's not that deep, David. We watched Khalil Herbert, right? When Khalil Herbert was healthy, did they rotate? Did they play four or five backs? Or did they ride that guy uh, as a premier back? Uh, it would be amazing, certainly, if Holston could do that, if Blackshear could do that. Uh, it, it just seems that maybe the Herbert thing was a one-year deal, especially, David, when you look at my biggest concern about this team, how thin the offensive line is. That that certainly plays into your run game. I think your concern mirrors the coach's concern. And Vance Weiss and Justin Fuente have – not done anything to try to mask that. I mean, what what did Fuente say to us after, or his impressions after the first scrimmage were there's far too much gap between our ones and twos. Yeah, and, and when you think about that, the offensive line is the first place your mind goes because we can talk about, okay, how often do you make it through a season with your starting quarterback or other things and, and like that, but you don't ever make it through a season with your five offensive linemen, right? <laughs> I mean, you don't make it through most games. It's such a physical position. There's so much banging there. And, and, you know, to think that you could play that, I mean, we saw it when we talked about COVID protocols. You know, teams were talking about not even being able to play if they didn't have a certain number of offensive linemen. I look at Virginia Tech's roster and I think, oh boy, I hope their development goes really well this offseason or that's going to be a major, major issue. That's why I think the uh, Maryland transfer, Johnny Jordan, coming in this summer is, I, I think his contribute, him contributing is imperative. Yeah, they're bringing him in because he's experienced, because he's played. Um, and, and the wild card in all of this is Brock Hoffman, yes. who, who is an all-conference caliber center, but also a guy who can play guard and, and can move around. And I think, you know, as much as you always hear it and you sort of always – and I'll blow it off to an extent. The idea that for Vance Vice, it's going to be find your five best guys and then figure a way to get them all on the field. Um, I think that's going to be it. Is, is Yeah, maybe Brock Hoffman is your best center, but if he's your second best or your best guard, um, I, I think you're going to see some pieces on the move. And uh, I think the transfer is going to play a big role. Speaking of transfers, you wrote about a transfer from Clemson on the defensive line, who I think is going to have a huge role. Jordan Williams, I, I and I agree with you, Mike. I think he's going to start up there at defensive tackle. He he's listed at at three ten. Says he's comfortable right now in the low threes. And the coaches just they rave about him, and not just his his talent, but the mindset that he brought from Clemson. I mean, th this is a young man. He's from Virginia Beach, Cox High School. He was at Clemson for four years. 
He won four ACC championships, you know, redshirted as a as a true freshman, and then was on the 2018 national championship team as as, as a redshirt freshman and contributed to that group. Has since played in in two other college football playoffs. You know, if anyone could have strutted in with an attitude or a you know kind of a I know how to do things approach, it would be Jordan Williams. But Justin Fuente and Williams's teammates say there has there has been none of that. That he has just come in and gone to work, and they very much appreciate that. Yeah, and none of that in the negative way, but some of that as you in the positive way of there is automatic respect, right, for <laughs> Jordan Williams, where he's been, what he's done, and um, I'm sure it's one of those deals where when he says something, it it, it speaks. Uh, louder to the players and the fact that he's falling in line and what he's saying is echoing his coaches. I think that's just invaluable for this program. Sure. I mean, he's, he's setting an example. And if, if the young people in the pro where well, they're all young, but the younger players in, in the program see that and say, and say to themselves, Hey, and this is a dude with a ring and he's buying in to what, Bill Tierlink is saying he's buying into what Justin Fuente is saying. Well, then maybe we need to get with the program as well. Yeah. Speaking of Bill Tierlink, when we're done recording here, I'm finishing a feature story on him. So we'll talk more about Bill Tierlink, uh, hopefully on our next episode. He's an interesting character, uh, great background. And, and, you know, that pairing, when you think about him, JC Price, who they brought in, and the experience of a player like Jordan Williams um, makes you feel better about that D line. Now, Looking at the rival, UVA, they've got a ton of guys on their D-line, on their offensive line, on their secondary. They they were one of the schools that a lot of the guys who could have gone on or could have come back, they chose to come back at UVA. Uh, those positions in particular are really deep. David, how, how big of a, a player or a factor do you think that is for what UVA is putting together this offseason after, like Tech, what was kind of a down season for them? Well, it's interesting, the, the, the contrast where we were just talking about Virginia Tech being so thin along the offensive line. I was just crunching some numbers, and I count more than 100 career starts in college for Virginia's returning five offensive linemen. I mean, that is a lot of seasoning up front and I think bodes well for the offense. Again, similar to Virginia Tech, the question in my mind is who carries the football? Because if if you take away sacks, Virginia's leading rusher the last three years has been its quarterback. Two years with Bryce Perkins and then last year with Brennan Armstrong. And in his pre-spring Zoom with us, Bronco Mendenhall said, we would like to have a more conventional running attack. And he he praised Wayne Talapapa for his work in spring, said he's won almost every drill. But winning drills and running the football effectively on Saturday are different. So we'll see. Yeah, I still think that the, the most intriguing candidates there are, you think about Ronnie Walker, the kid from Hopewell who transferred from Indiana, uh, since we've been speaking about Indiana transfers. Um, yeah. You know, he'll finally be full go after all the obstacles last year. And then Mike Hollins, a really talented recruit who opted out last season uh, after the COVID stuff hit. 
he's back and it, it, it's going to be interesting. It's, it does feel a little bit like the tech, you know, do you have a bunch of guys or is somebody going to emerge? And um, certainly a position to watch. And speaking of positions to watch, that brings us to this week's edition of Who You Got? Thank you, Mike. It is who you got. Now, we're not going to get in any uh, uh, spring football games, but if we were, who's the one player from either Tech or UVA that you're most interested in checking out this spring? Let's start with Mike. I'm going to go on the offensive side. I'm going to stay with UVA, and I'm going to say Lavelle Davis Jr. Uh, the wide receiver, when, when he was on the field, he was explosive. Uh, he was dominant. He has a big body. He has the speed. He can get behind defenses, but he can also catch those 50-50 balls. And everybody we've talked to at Virginia offensively this offseason has talked about making that a priority or a focus, big plays and capturing 50-50 balls. And uh, I think it was Marcus Hagens, the receiver coach, told us, hey, we want to make it more like 75-25. Brendan Armstrong, the quarterback, said, we want to make it 75-25. When we throw up a a 50-50 ball, there's a better chance we get it than than you get it. Um, And I think Lavelle Davis Jr. is right in the middle of that. I think he has a chance to be an all-conference level weapon, um, again, with his size, his athleticism, and now with a little bit of experience. uh, He's the guy I'm most interested to see whenever we get games back here. Okay. Thanks, Mike. David? Stop looking at my paper, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I I think Davis is – such such an intriguing player what six foot seven mm-hmm. and so i'll go across state but but stick on the offensive side and say james mitchell at at, at virginia tech because he has shown flashes much like lavelle davis did last year as as a true freshman of big play capability not only in the pass game but in in the run game as well and tight end and and in the in the slot and even split wide and i just think it's incumbent upon brad cornelson and justin fuente to get him even more involved in the offense in creative ways this season yeah justin fuente talked a lot about the depth at at tight end and how they're going to use those guys but david I, i just wonder if it doesn't play back into what you and i were already talking about the questions on the offensive line, how much too tight end is it going to be? Not not out of the offensive versatility, but out of the need to help that offensive line. Um, that's, that's, that's a really good point. And that's where you, you look more to to Gallo and, and gosh, I'm going to butcher his name. I always do. How do you say Drake's last name? Oh, so I get to butcher it? Drake yeah. Delulius is how I've Delulius. always said it. Delulius, okay. <laughs> I, I, I always have trouble with his last name, and I apologize. But you can pronounce the name of Clemson's presumptive starter at quarterback. Who is that? DJ Uwe Ungalale. Oh, it's the best. It's the best to hear you do that. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that. Thanks for listening. <laughs> you can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Special thanks to Dustin Doperak of the Hoosier Daily for joining us today. The show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week.